Hello, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Harvest Church here in Elk Grove. We're excited to have you join us as we share God's message of hope and love. Each week, we bring you a new message from our pastors and guest speakers designed to inspire, uplift your spirits, and challenge you. Whether you're listening on your commute, at home, or on a walk, we hope these messages will bring you closer to God and help you on your faith journey. So without further ado, let's listen in. Last week, um, I spoke to you about information that I had directly from the Knesset. For those who don't know, uh, the Knesset is the, the governing body of Israel. That's where they go and they brief the whole country, where their leaders from the different parts of Israeli society come together and they make their laws, they pass their laws, they enforce the laws to the people, all of that is through the Knesset. My wife and I had the privilege to be at the Knesset some years back and be briefed on the governmental level of what the world affairs were happening from Israel's perspective in Israel uh, as Israel's relationship with America and what's taking place in the Middle East. I remember leaving that meeting saying to myself, what in the world am I doing in a room like this here in the Knesset being informed at the level of information. This sounds like really top secret stuff that's not going out uh, around the world, but we're being downloaded this directly from Israel's government and their ambassador from Israel, the Israeli ambassador to the United States of America. Uh, that, that ambassador was in the inauguration the day before and then the inauguration happened, and then they flew back to Israel, and we just happened to be in Israel at that time, and they briefed us, and I'm thinking like, wow, God, what am I doing? But now I can say several years later, I was in that room then for this moment now, because I have a different perspective of what's going on. And one warning that the Israeli government gave us, everyone say warning, when someone who's credible give you a warning, you should listen. They say, what is being uh, uh, pumped and, and perpetuated and spoken and, and disseminated to the news through the different news channels and news outlets is not accurate. They said, please do not take from what you're seeing on television or websites as gospel truth because they're not properly perpetuating what's happening here in Israel and in the Middle East. And I kind of took that to heart and I said, okay, John, you need to do your due diligence and dig much deeper than what's just being presented on the five or six o'clock news. You hear what I'm saying? So then I said that a week ago. I showed the picture in the Knesset, said that a week ago. A couple of days later, everyone say a few days later. A few days later, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad misfired rockets into Gaza, hitting the Al-Shahai Arab Hospital in Gaza City. And the New York Times led out with their lead story on their website, quote, unquote, they said the Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. They quoted misinformation and put it out as breaking news without verifying or validating if what was told to them was true. They only went to one source instead of both sources to validate the information that they received. And very few news outlets verified what was spoken because there was breaking news all over the world. Israeli rockets blow up hospital and kill hundreds. 
later on that week, and maybe I, I should say maybe the next day, um, the Israeli government came on, the IDF came on, and they said this is false information. And they provided several pieces of factual information to show that what was published by the New York Times and many news outlets around the world was false because they did not do their due diligence to find out both sides of the story. Do you hear what I'm saying? In academic writing, there's something that's done in master degrees and doctorate degrees, and we call this critical analysis. Look at your neighbor and say critical analysis. I'm getting a little technical right now. Critical analysis is done, it is basically a detailed examination and evaluation of another person's ideas or work. In critical analysis, in graduate degrees, you cannot take one source of information and present it as fact or truth. You must go to both sides of an issue, gather information from both sides of the issue before you can present it as factual information because you've done critical analysis. You said this is side A of the coin, this is side B of the coin. Now I have a full picture and now I can present a clear perspective of what's going on. But New York Times and other news outlets are not doing that. So one of the things that I want you to understand that if you want to get accurate information, go to sources that can be held accountable for falsehoods or misinformation. Basically, if you want to know the truth, go to the people who will get in trouble if they tell a lie. Because if there is no consequence for misinformation, then they have no motivation to tell the truth. Oh, I just spit fire at somebody right now. (laughs) If someone can print something without a consequence to misrepresent the truth, then there's no motivation to tell the truth. The motivation is how many people, eyes and ears, can I get on the information I've just presented so that I can get a reaction from them. I don't want to give you misinformation. I want to give you biblical truth that is sound so that you can have an understanding of what's happening in the earth and not receive misinformation from the various news outlets that's just putting something up within a matter of minutes of an incident only to find out that they're not telling the truth. Amen? Look at somebody say, the devil is a liar and the truth is not in him. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So if someone is printing lies intentionally, they are inspired by who? That's just a critical analysis of the issue. Somebody missed the joke. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. All right. Let's dive in. Now it's time to preach. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get in the word. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 7 through 9. I want to give you a historical claim of the holy city 
of Jerusalem to the Israeli people. I want to give you biblical and historical information to show you that what's happening now and the battle that's taking place here in 2023 is not something that started in 1948 when Israel decided to reform themselves as a nation, but this was something that God ordained over 3,500 years ago that has been in process and God has been working for thousands of years. For those who don't know, America is only like 300 plus years old. We have not even been in existence for thousands, for a thousand years, and yet over 3,000 years, God has been working his plan in the city of Jerusalem with the Israeli people. God is not behind the scenes figuring it out. God already got the game plan and is laying it out for us. We're just discovering what he's already been doing for a long time. Amen? It's kind of like Christmas. Parents, you know what you've been plotting all year. The kids just find out on December the 25th. Can I get a good witness? I'm not blowing it up just in case you told your kids about the, the guy that's floating through the sky and dropping things off in the, in the uh, what's the fireplace? Yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have to have a conversation after the sermon, so that's all I'm going to say right there. Amen? All right. Parents getting nervous right now. Grandparents, don't you say it, Pastor John. Don't mess up Christmas. I don't want to have a conversation after this sermon. Hallelujah. But my question is, if you don't have a fireplace, how does Santa make it into your house anyway? Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll repent after service. <laughs> All right. First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 7. David made the fortress his home, and this is why it's called the city of David. Everyone say the city of David. He extended the city from the supporting terraces to the surrounding areas while Joab rebuilt the rest of Jerusalem. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of the armies, heaven's armies, was with him. Job was, Joab was a military commander, and he was responsible for rebuilding Jerusalem. And the capital of Israel, Jerusalem became the capital of Israel and the national center of political life and of worship. David became the king. He said, I am making this my national, uh, the, the, the national center of worship and political life for the nation of Israel. It shall be Jerusalem. This was, this was over 3,000 years ago that David decided to make Jerusalem his capital. Let me give you a little bit of history of the city of Jerusalem. The first time in the Bible that the city of Jerusalem is mentioned, uh, it original name, its original name was Salem during the days of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest during the time of Abraham. Uh, he, was, he was a priest of Salem or the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. Later on, the Jebusites conquered the city of Salem and renamed it uh, Jerusalem, the, the, or renamed it Jabez, and the Jebusite people occupied 
and took it over before Israel took possession of Canaan, which was later named the nation of Israel after the descendants of Abraham took possession of the land during the time of Joshua. The city of Jerusalem has a history. It was first mentioned as as, as uh, Salem first during the times of Abraham, then the Jebusites took it over and named it Jebus, and then later on it was named the city of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is an ancient city that has been around probably four, five thousand years. It has been around for a long time. Jerusalem just didn't pop up on the map a couple of years ago, and it has been the headquarters or the national place of political life. And worship of several nations and now for the last 3,500 years it has also been the national center of worship and political life for the Israeli people Genesis 14 18 says this it says and Melchizedek the king of Salem and a priest of God most high brought Abraham some bread and wine and this is the reference where the city, the king of Salem, which is, he was the king of the city of Jerusalem because it was a city nation at that particular time. During the times of Joshua, fast forwarding in the Bible, Israel crossed the Jordan River into the Canaan, which is what we call the promised land because it was the land God promised to give the descendants of Abraham and they no longer called the city Salem, but now they called the city Jerusalem. Is everyone with me? Joshua 15, 8 says this, And the boundary then passed through the valley of Ben-Hinnon along the southern, southern slopes of the Jebusites where the city of Jerusalem is located. So we see another reference thousands of years ago in the Bible where the city of, of Jerusalem is identified and it is a location where the people of God were converging on before they begin to make this their capital. I want to say this real quick. One of the things in modern day narratives is that they're fighting over a place that has been occupied by both parties, the Arabs and the Israelis. I want you to understand that one of the things biblically is that God is the one that established the nation of Israel. He gave Abraham a promise, and he said, your descendants will inherit a land that I will give to them. He said, leave Ur of the Chaldees, go to a land that I will show you. That was the land of Canaan, later renamed the land of Israel. And God told Abraham that I am going to give this land to all of your descendants. Five 500 years later, Moses comes along and he is the lawgiver and the leader of the nation of Israel. He leads them out of captivity of the Egyptians and he is about to lead them through the wilderness into the promised land. As his reign ends, his protege Joshua takes over as the leader of the nation of Israel and he brings them into Canaan or what is then called Israel and they take occupation of the land. Hundreds of years later, King David becomes the king of the nation of Israel, and he says, this will be my headquarters. This will be the place where I will build a temple of worship to God, and this is the place where I will reign and rule over the nation of Israel. God had the city of Jerusalem in process for thousands of years, and he was giving promises to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, 
Isaac and Jacob, to the descendants of David, to the descendants of Moses, that they would not only occupy this land, but actually Jerusalem would be the center point to which governing and worship and the exaltation of the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will go forth from there throughout the world. Why is this important, Pastor John? This is important because the battle that's taking place that the war started at the beginning of October did not start on October the 7th or 8th. It started thousands of years ago because this is a fight of the enemy trying to destroy the promise of God that he promised to his descendants thousands of years ago before any of the modern day stuff is happening. This did not just start in October. God says these people will occupy this land thousands of years ago, and the enemy knows the Bible sometimes better than most Christians. And he said, I cannot let them occupy the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem because when that happens, the way that God has promised it would happen, Jesus Christ is coming back for all of those who believe in his name. We are living in the time of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. We think this is about Hamas. We think this is about Hezbollah. We think this is about uh, the Palestinian jihad. This is so much deeper because the devil knows that if he ties everything up and he binds everything up with this nonsense that's going on, that he can prevent Jesus from coming back. But what he doesn't realize, Jesus Christ is returning no matter what stunt he tries to pull. And what he seeks to accomplish. Amen? Amen? And the reason why this is so important is because the modern day narrative seems like you got these two people group groups who have a claim over the same piece of land and property. They're fighting and they just can't get along. That is so simple, but that is so surface what's going on. This thing is so much deeper. In Jerusalem right now, the prophecies of the Old Testament said that Jesus is going to come through the eastern gate into the city of Jerusalem. I remember being in the, the, um, the olives, the groves of olives that Jesus was in, and we were looking across from the olive grove and over into the city gates and the, the walls of Jerusalem. And our tour guide was saying, what do you see in front of the gates of the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem? And I said, it was, it was a Muslim graveyard. It was an Islamic graveyard that they built across the eastern gate. And they know that Israelis by nature cannot go into places where dead people are because it would make them unclean. I said, the devil was so crafty that he built a graveyard for the Muslim people in the city of Jerusalem in front of the eastern gate to try to prevent Jesus from returning, as the prophecy said, back into the city of Jerusalem to take conquest in his second coming. But he doesn't know that Jesus is riding in on a white horse called Faithful and True. It's not like he has to march over a graveyard. He can come straight into the city through the eastern gate. But this is how the enemy tries to operate to prevent what God has said is going 
going to come to pass from coming to pass. But look at your neighbor say, your God is smarter than the devil. I mean, like, way smarter than the devil. I mean, like, really, 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 way smarter than the devil. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Second Samuel 5, 7 through 13, it says, But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. And on the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike them by going into the city through the water tunnel. This is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home, and he called the city of David. He extended uh, the city starting at the supporting terraces and working towards, and David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with Cedar, uh, timber and carpenters and stonemasons they built David a palace and David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and he blessed his kingdom for the sake of the people Israel why did God bless the kingdom of Israel for whose sake he blessed it for the sake of the people of Israel amen, amen. and after moving from Hebron to Jerusalem David married more concubines and wives and they had more sons and daughters for seven years David dwelt as king of Israel in Hebron but for 33 years he dwelt in Jerusalem establishing it as the center of worship and political life for the entire nation David is the standard. Jesus is of the lineage of the line of David. He was the king that was prophesied that would come from the line of David is Jesus Christ. David established Jerusalem as his headquarters. And in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks that Jesus Christ is going to return and he is going to create what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be a city in that particular location that David set his headquarters and it is going to be called the new yes Jesus is going to build the new Jerusalem in the site where his descendant David established the headquarters of Jerusalem the devil is trying to stop Jesus from setting up his headquarters where he's already ordained thousands of years ago that his headquarters would be established. The devil is a liar. This war and what's happening and the conflicts have been happening is not about what it appears to be in the news media. This is a conflict of the enemy trying to prevent the promises of God from being fulfilled from thousands of years ago. But God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And everything the Lord said he is going to do with the nation of Israel, with the city of Jerusalem, and the second coming of Christ, and the church being a part of it, all will come to pass because the enemy cannot stop what God has already begun and prophesied thousands of years ago we are just privileged to be living in the actual time where biblical prophecy is being fulfilled in real time amen I want to give you a couple of names of this the from the time of David that the city of Jerusalem has been called by these various names so first name is the name Zion can I tell you this? And I want to just blow, blow some more stuff up. 
the name Zion, people called, um, they call Israelis Zionist. The name Zion didn't originate with the Israelis. The Jebusites, who were not Israelis, who was a pagan culture, actually called the city of Jerusalem Zion. And David said, I'm going to go and conquer Zion. Zion was a name that predated the Israeli people. So Zion, Zionist is used as a, as, a, as, a, as a name to describe the Israelis, but it is a name that has existed that predated even Israel's occupation of the city of Jerusalem. But the city of Jerusalem is called Zion, the city of David, the holy city, the city of our God, the city of the great king, the home of justice and the faithful city, the city of our Lord and the faithful city. Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 11 says this. This is uh, Moses speaking to the children of Israel on God's behalf. He said, rather you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship. He himself will choose from among all the tribes the place where his name will be honored. Moses is saying there's a location in the promised land. Now, they weren't, they weren't in the promised land yet, but Moses said there's a location where God's going to establish his name, and that's going to be the place of worship where his name will be exalted. Verse 11, he said, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, and your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship. He said, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. The place where God chose for his name to be honored was the city of Jerusalem. Man did not tell God where they were going to honor him. God told them where he wanted his name to be honored. God told them, this is where I want my name to be honored. The city of Jerusalem, the most precious, priceless piece of real estate on all the planet Earth is not the Eiffel Tower in Paris. It's not the Empire State Building in New York City. It's not Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. It's not the Superdome in New Orleans. It is not uh, Westminster Palace in London. The most valuable piece of real estate on all the planet Earth is the city of Jerusalem because God says this is the location by which I want my name to be honored in all of the earth. He said that thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and even in the book of Revelation when he comes back and he returns, that very city, that very location will be the headquarters of all of heaven and earth for the rest of eternity. Mm. Go to Psalm 99 verses 1 and 2 and I'm going to close with this scripture. Look at your neighbor, say perspective. We have to have a biblical perspective. What God says is true, and anything that we say in opposition to that, we're off. Amen? God, God cannot lie. I'm going to say that again for somebody in need. God cannot lie. God cannot fib. God cannot make stuff up that's not true. 
Do you know if God says it, then it becomes true? Somebody missed that. If it wasn't true when God says it, now it becomes true. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No true, nothing but truth can come forth from God. All right. Psalm 99, 1 and 2. Powerful. This blew my mind when I read it. It says, the Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. Let who tremble? All of the nations. It says, let the nations tremble because the Lord is king. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty where? In Jerusalem, exalted above all nations. So if God has a throne that is existing on the earth, he says that the location of my throne where I reign and rule over all of the nations is in the city of where? Do you know the United Nations didn't make that up? God says, my throne on the earth is in Jerusalem where I will reign and rule over all the nations. And the nations are to tremble and to quake because I reign and rule from this location. This is not a claim even limited to a nation or a people group. This is a claim of God in the earth. Amen? When you hear your favorite news outlet this week, I want you to hear them through the, prescri- the, the per, uh, perspective of the scriptures to understand that this war is greater than just what's happening and what's being broadcasted on the news, but this is the enemy trying to prevent the promises of God from being fulfilled and to try to keep, I'm going to use the word try to because it's a failed attempt, but to try to keep Jesus Christ from coming back to take rightful claim over that which is already his. Amen? Come on, it's like the devil's operating like a squatter. He's in somebody else's house, but Jesus is bringing the eviction notice. And he said, you got to get up out of here. You're not paying rent. You haven't paid the light bill. You're not paying taxes on the property. You cannot remain here because you have no claim or right to this location because heaven has ordained that this is his throne in the earth and the nations will tremble at his very presence. Amen and amen. Pastor Nelson, you can come up. Hallelujah. The Jewish people's claim to the land of Canaan and the city of Jerusalem was established almost 3,500 years ago, not by man or even by themselves as a nation, but it was ordained and established by God himself No nation or political group has the power to revoke the claim that God has made. Modern world powers have tried to revoke Israel's right to be in the land, but the promise to Abraham has been fulfilled in ancient times and in modern times. We're going to pray this in closing. We're going to pray for the Israeli people to have a revelation of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, And we're going to pray for the Palestinian people to have an encounter with the living God. 
This is not about picking a people group or siding with a group. This is about saying, Lord, what does the word of God say? And we're going to line up with the word of God. Amen. We're going to pray for the salvation of both people groups, that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, that their eyes will be open to see Christ as the Messiah, and that the Palestinians will recognize that Jesus is more than a prophet, but he is God. They call Allah God, but Jesus Christ is God. He is higher than Allah, that they would have that revelation and encounter with Christ. Amen? And the third prayer that we're going to pray, and I think this is important that I say this, and, and please just give me two more minutes to say this. And I want you to hear me. If you haven't heard anything else that I've said this sermon, hear what I say in these next 120 seconds. The hardest group I believe on planet Earth to witness to and tell them about Jesus Christ is the modern day Israeli people. Is anyone curious why? Thank you for asking. When I went to Israel, I've been to Israel about three or four times now. This is the statement that I've heard from the Israelis and it, it, it hurt my heart. They said when the Nazis were killing six million of our people in Europe, they were murdering us, they were putting us in gas chambers, they were uh, shooting bullets through the skulls of our grandparents and children and loved ones. They said, where was the church in Europe to defend and protect us? Because in a lot of the European countries, the church was complicit and they did nothing. They just sat back and said, that's not our problem. And the Israelis said, if you sit back and you let it happen, you are the problem. So they don't believe in the, in the Messiah. Jesus is their Messiah, but they don't believe in our Jesus because the church in the 1930s and 40s failed to be the church. They just sat back and let the devil wipe out six million people and said, well, we don't want to die either, so we're not going to do anything about it. That's why Israelis don't believe in Jesus, because they said that if Jesus is your Lord and you're the church, then we don't want nothing to do with you. Oh. I had no comeback. I'm like, oh God, it's true. But we're here in 2023. And in similar fashion, Hamas is operating in the same spirit that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party is operating, killing and murdering innocent people. I'm not talking about Palestinians. I'm, talking, I'm speaking about Hamas. And this is the time where the church has one or two choices. We're going to do what the church did in the 1930s and 40s, or we're going to pray and we're going to stand with truth so that when the Israelis look and they say, who stood with us in this season? We can say the church did. The church rose up. We weren't complicit. We didn't turn a blind eye and act like that's not our problem. We don't have to deal with that. It's not our people being killed. Last Sunday, there was a man from the Israeli Defense Force that came to the service. He was, he was in active duty. He came up, him and his wife, and we prayed for him. He broke down and started weeping. 
I say, God, what would be the chances that this man would be here in this church all the way in California and hear the message that was preached last week? And he said that the, the idea of people being called up from all over the world to go to Israel right now and fight and defend. You know why? Because the Israeli people said this. Everyone say never again. That's the saying of the Israeli people. They said what happened in the Holocaust will never again happen to us as a nation. They said we would rather die than have someone put a bullet in the back of our head and not have the ability to defend ourselves. That's why Israel's response is so, what appears to be so dramatic. They said we went through this in the 1940s. It's not happening again. Say we will die before we let someone kill us and let's just sit back and let it happen. They're rising up. And I would say this, whether you're a black, white, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, Japanese, Chinese, if someone came in to kill and wipe out your people group from existing, I think that you probably will rise up and want to do something about it too. This isn't about choosing a side. This is about seeing what's actually happening, saying, Lord, we're going to do the right thing. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. We pray that today's message has touched your heart and encouraged your spirit. We believe that the Word of God has the power to transform our lives and inspire us to be better versions of ourselves. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more inspirational messages. Until next time, may the good Lord bless you. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our weekend services and sharing with you once again next week.